0: This is my third Sunday, and frankly, my biggest struggle here at First Methodist Carrollton is what to wear on Sunday morning. So I just took off my tie. I I hope that's okay. I want to start out by telling you a story about a a Cajun fisherman who had a, a, a high success rate. I mean, when he would come in uh, after, a, after just a few hours of fishing, he would have a load of fish like you wouldn't believe. Well, the game warden decided he was just going to kind of check on the guy. You've heard this story? Well, what he found out is that this Cajun would go out and he'd light a stick of diamondite and he'd throw it in the water. It would explode and the dead fish would float at the top and he'd just dip them up. So one day the, the game warden followed him out at a distance, and after the first explosion, he comes over to arrest the guy. Hops in the boat, says, you know, this is against the law, it's against everything we stand for. And the Cajun just um, silently took another stick of dynamite out of his fishing uh, box, lit it, handed it to the game warden, and said... Friend, are you going to fish or cut bait? (laughs) This morning, I want to ask the question as we move through John chapter 14, verses 5 through 7, and then what Dan Glover calls, who's done a lot of research on different stages of Christian development, uh, the stages of the Christian faith. um, I want to ask the question Are you ready to fish or cut bait? Are we going to sit on our hands? Or are we going to get about doing the work of Jesus Christ to bring people into the kingdom? Last year, 2.8 million people died in the U.S. Okay? 2.8 million. Now why is that important? Well, Barna tells us in his study of the Christian of the population and the Christian faith. That 73% of our population says that they're Christians. They say that they're Christians. 52% when you begin to ask them questions about what they believe. Actually are Christians. They don't know what it means to be a Christian. 30% of the population, or a little more than half of that 52%, actually practice their Christianity. Worship, prayer, reading of scriptures, generosity, the sharing of their faith. And more than half of those say, just barely half of those will say in the surveys that their faith makes a difference in their life. But friends, there's a huge gap in our culture. I mean, you know, we, we say about the U.S. that we are a Christian nation. We say about our communities that we are Christian, that we are God-fearing, And I submit to you that if we were to take those numbers, 2.8 million, and apply Barna's uh, definition and his his results, that at least a million, if not more than 1.4 million, of those who will die this year are facing eternal separation from God. Now, for me, that's, that's sobering. I mean, are we just going to sit around and pull our chairs in a circle and eat ice cream and, and, uh, and celebrate our own faith and what God is doing for us? While wow, 1.4 million people face a separation from God for eternity? Are you hearing me this morning? Church, come on. I mean, do you hear what the imperative is? We have work to do. We have work to do. So I will look at John chapter 14, 5 and 7. I want to go quickly through what Glover describes as the four stages of faith. And in each place, I'm going to ask you, what can you be doing? Or where are you in your faith development? Let's pray. Lord God, may the words of my mouth and may the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our strength and our Redeemer. Hide me behind the cross, O God, that these words would be your words, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. There we go. We got the back screen going now. Yes. I want to break down this passage because this passage has been blamed for... um, What people describe as the exclusive nature of the Christian faith. Thomas asked the question How can we know the way? I think all of us at one point or another have asked that in our lives. How can we know the way? Well, Jesus responds with these words I am the way, the truth, and the life. Next slide. There we go. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is describing there what he brings to us. The way, the truth, and the life. We're going to talk about that in those stages in just a second. But here comes the determining phrase of this scripture. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, you will know my Father also. There's a lot of folks out there that say, wait a minute. What about the Jews? Aren't they faithful? What about, the, what about Islam? They, they have such a structured life, and they're, they're so good. What about the Buddhists? They're so spiritual. The problem with every other religion and every other way to God is that it's based on what we do. Our following of the law. Our ability to uphold a moral and ethical uh, uh, objective. And, and I, I don't want to take away from that. I think Jesus calls us to that moral and ethical life. But the way to God is through Jesus Christ and the forgiveness that he offers to us by the power of the cross and the shedding of his blood. So how do we get there? How do we get there? Glover calls stage one the curious stage. Stage one is the stage where we become aware of our need for God. Now, if we take a look at the scriptures, um, in Psalm 42, it says, A deer longs for flowing streams, so my soul longs for you, O God. And what's interesting about this passage is that it's actually a reflection of Genesis <coughs> of Genesis 2, verse 7, where God is creating Adam, and, and he breathes into Adam the breath of life, and Adam becomes a living being. A deer longs for flowing sea, so my soul longs for you. It's the same kind of phrase, both here and in verse 7 of chapter 2 of Genesis. That longing, that desire, that need for the breath of God. There is something that is missing in our lives without the breath of God. And to me, what's really interesting about Genesis uh, chapter 2 verse 7 is that the word that is translated living being is the Hebrew word nephesh. Okay? Anybody know what nephesh means? Maybe Bible scholars here. You know what nephesh is? What does it mean? Huh? In your throat? Actually, it means a bundle of appetites. Hungry. It's, uh, it's like a bird, a baby bird with its mouth open waiting on mama. That's who we are. Now, and we try to fill that hunger with all kinds of things. If you're like me, I've tried to fill it with all kinds. And some of them are noble, like work, you know, our family. And some of them are destructive. But there's only one that satisfies. And that is the Spirit of God. And, and so in this curious stage, the, um, the question that's asked is, is this for real? Is this for real? Is what I'm experiencing in, in the, the Spirit of God, is it real? Is it enough for me to let go of all these other things and believe and devote myself? to something else as a church we have two jobs here one is to bring the curious into asking that question and the second is for those around us that may be in stage one to make sure that they are never left alone because they're vulnerable stage two Stage two is the new or rededicated believer. The new or rededicated believer. They, uh, they have decided that this is for real, and, and now they want to get involved. And the, the question that the new or dedicated believer asks is what can I do to help? How many times do you hear that around the church? Somebody gets so excited about the faith, they get excited about the church, they get excited about what Jesus is doing in them, and they say, what can I do to help? And we give them a job. We put them on the finance committee. <laughs> we put them on the trustees. I had a new Christian once, uh, early in my ministry, I was naive. I was naive. I said, what can I do to help? I can't remember what committee I put him on. And about after two meetings, he came to me and he says, I'm about to lose my faith. (laughs) Don't ever ask me to do that again. That's not what he needed. He needed to grow. He needed to be filled. He needed to learn. Because the real question that the new or rededicated believer is asking is, what can I do to fit in? How do I fit into this place? And our job as the church is to be constantly mentoring and helping and seeing those persons that are in that stage too that have those important questions. And we'll know because they'll say, how can, what can I do to help? And our answer is, how can I help you? What can I do for you? And here's why. And this is why they're so vulnerable. In stage two, the new or rededicated believer believes that faith is going to change the world. And what we learn is, the world's not going to change. We're going to change. As Paul said in Romans chapter 8, verse 39, that through Jesus Christ we are more than conquerors we're given the ability the strength the power to face whatever life may bring not that the world changes but we change stage 3 stage 3 is the most dangerous of these stages this is the seasoned but restless believer They've been around a while. They've been working on the finance committee. They've been working on the trustees. Been going to church council. They've been, they see how the sausage is made. And they say, is this all there is? Is this all there is? There's got to be more. I mean, I, I come to church, and these people are no different than the people at work. I come to church and they argue just like all the other people in my neighborhood do. I come to church and it's the same old, same old, same old, same old. Is this all there is? See, at this point, and all of us kind of go back and forth in our Christian faith. And we move back and forth. And this stage three is is not just one, one time only. All of us go through it at one time or another. And then we'll go through it again. Because there's challenges to our faith. But is this all there is? Is the point at which we need to be there for them. To help them see that, no, those of us in the church are just like everybody else we are just forgiven. We are, we have that appetite, that emptiness, that hole filled. We've got to take responsibility for that person. Because oftentimes what happens to that person is that they end up church shopping. I was at, I was pastor at First Methodist Church, Rowlett. I had a family join the church three times. Three times. They, they joined the church. They came from another church. And about two years later, they got upset. And they went to another church. And then they went to another church. And then they came back. And about three years later, they got upset. And they went to another church. And they... And, and then they came back because every time they got restless or dissatisfied, they were looking for something else that they could not find. When I began to work with Dan Glover and began to really dive into this, this whole nature of what it means to grow as a Christian, I, I realized that that was the stage that this family was stuck in. They expected people to be different. They expected the world to be different. They expected to find something new every time they walked in the doors of the church, as new as it was the first time they walked in. And they were dissatisfied. Because here's the key. They were unwilling to let Jesus change them. If we're going to move out of stage three, we've got to let Christ change us. In Philippians chapter 2, 12 and 13, Paul says this. He says, Therefore, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed me, not only in my presence, but also much more now in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, enable you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. You know what Paul is telling us there? Is that our faith is vulnerable. It is under attack by this world on a continuing basis. That's why we need the church. That's why we need our brothers and sisters in Christ. That's why why we need each other. A regular attendance of coming together with others. I don't get that this new 21st century movement that I'm spiritual but not religious does anybody know what that means does anybody know what that means I don't know what that means spiritual but not religious you know for 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 me if I get away from the church for too long I lose my compass and my direction I become dissatisfied. I start asking questions and, 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 and beginning to tear my own doubts and fears apart. We need each other, friends. We need each other. We need the spiritual disciplines, because stage four is where we're headed. Stage four is the committed follower. Stage four, the committed follower asks this question. Where has this been all my life? It's a recognition the world's not going to change. People are not going to change. But I can change by the power of Jesus Christ. By the blood that he shed on the cross, I can change I can be different. And that hole in my soul can be filled. And I don't have to look anywhere else. Where has this been all my life? And this person, if you know them around the church, will be asking this question also. Lord what do you want me to do? Not church, what do you want me to do? Because see, when that person asks the church, what we'll do is we'll give them a job, right? We'll identify a need in the church and we'll say, this is what you need to be doing. But see, the church at its best, the committed Christian says, Lord, what do you want me to do? And you know what? That job may not be in the church. It may be something that God is calling the church to do and to develop that you are being called by God to champion. Do you you hear me? Do you hear the difference there? Between church, what do you want me to do, and Lord, what do you want me to do? And I got to tell you, I'm... (laughs) I'm not a very good person to, make, to discern this. I had a lady several years ago, and she she came to me and she said, "I've got this ministry that I want to start. It's called Red and Blue. I want to reach out to the police officers and the fire department, take meals to them on the holidays, you know, adopt them, and 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 do all this stuff." And I'm thinking, that's the craziest thing I ever heard. <laughs> you know, how is that going to? What's that going to do for the gospel? And what's that going to do for our church? But I was right in the middle of of working with Dan Glover on this stuff. And so I I said the words, okay, if God is calling you to do that, what can we do to support you? (laughs) What was amazing is that she began to get involved with it and recruited others to get involved with her. I started looking out on Sunday morning and across the back there would be police officers and firemen that would, that would be coming into our service uh, at, at the end. <laughs> we, uh, uh, on the times that we would take them breakfast or on Thanksgiving Day for those who were having to serve or Christmas Day for those who were having to work on, the, on those holidays, we would get questions about the faith. They would say, I've got this situation going on in my family. What... What do you recommend? It was the most incredible ministry that I'd ever seen. And I thought it was stupid. (laughs) You hear what I'm saying? Lord, what do you want me to do? Here's the deal. Here is the deal. We never stop growing in our faith. And we cannot do it alone. Because in stage four, in stage four, we come to know the truth and the reality of Jesus' words I am the way the truth, and the life. The committed Christian needs nothing else. Nothing else. So I, I, I ask you this morning, what stage are you in? Are you in that curious stage? Or, or maybe you've been to stage three and now you're back to stage two, stage one. Where are you today? And where do you need to go? And as we close our worship service today, I just simply invite you to, to say, Lord, help me to let go of what's holding me back. Help me to, uh, to take that next step. And for the rest of us, it's time for us to pray, Lord, who do you want me to touch? As we close our worship service, I want you to look around the room. Look around the room and and just say, Lord, show me. And, 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 and I really believe that if you, if you say those words, God will, will just raise somebody up, that that's the person that you need to touch. That's the person that you need to reach out to. And don't ignore it. Do not ignore it. Because Jesus is about the business of making all things new. Beyond anything we can do. Real quick question. I have a quick story. I'm going to sit down. Chuck Colson, Charles Colson that you know, was a part of the Watergate, if you've been around that long. Uh, went to prison. And after he got out of prison, he was converted and went into prison ministry. And he would visit prisons all over the nation and speak to prisoners. And, and <coughs> people tried to guess how many individuals that Chuck Colson has led to the Lord. But it's thousands he tells a story about being in Brazil at San Paulo. At a prison there saw Humanita. Humananita was an experiment by the Brazilian government. They decided to let the churches have the prison. Now, the um, prison still had if you had to serve your time, you know, there you had to, if you were a lifer, you had to stay in there forever. I mean, for your life. I mean, there were no changes in that regard. But what the churches did was, as they got involved and began to witness to those inmates and they saw conversions take place, the prison needed fewer and fewer government workers. Colson says that when he went to visit there, that there were only two that worked for the government. The rest of the prison was run by the prisoners, and he said, I really expected chaos when I walked in. He said, you know, run by the prisoners? Oh, man. He said he went in, and there were smiles on their face. There was order in the cafeteria. There were no fights. They took care of each other. They, uh, um, he said that the person that met him and showed him around was a lifer who was convicted of murder and made no, made, made no apology. He said, I killed a person. I'm in here for life. But I'm saved by the blood of Jesus. Colson was asking this man, he says, well, I don't understand. He said, I understand that the return rate at this prison is less than 10%. That's incredible. The average in the United States is 75% of those who get out of prison end up back in prison. And he says, I want to show you the isolation and what used to be the torture cell of this prison and we still have one inmate that is in there would you like to see it and colson said oh yes i've been to prisons all over the world i've seen the worst of the worst please show me what's going on there and he says this is our secret everybody knows what's going on in this torture chamber So we led him back into a deserted area of the the prison, down a hallway. And he said, are you sure you want to see this? And he said, yes. When he opened the door, there was a life-size carving of Jesus hanging on the cross. And the inmate said to Colson, There is not a man that comes into this prison that does not eventually understand that he serves our time for us. Because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life fills the hole that is within us and makes us able to meet all things with confidence and hope. Now, they're going to sing here in a second. And as they do, you heard the invitation earlier to look around. Where is God leading you? What stage are you in and what steps do you need to make to grow closer to Jesus Christ and to let go of all things except Him? And if there's anyone here this morning that's in stage one or two and you want to become a part of this church and you want to uh, make a commitment to Jesus Christ I invite you to come forward I pray every morning that I preach that someone will give their life to Christ that someone will say the words I believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and if you're there this morning take that step take that step